I'm Scott, and welcome to Series 1, Episode 9 of Child in Time, a podcast about growing up in the 60s. In this, the penultimate episode of the season, we look at the weekend in the 60s, and some of the things we used to get up to in the 60s. Saturday mornings were always sport, football in winter and cricket in summer. When I first uh, started playing soccer in the early 60s, mini soccer was yet to be invented and we played on full-size fields with full-size goals. As a seven-year-old, the field was enormous. My soccer boots were like army boots with studs. My little ankle was well protected by the boot, all right, but any ankle movement was nigh impossible. As a small boy, soccer was my first love. And come summer, and it was cricket. Now, when it came to cricket, I was a pretty good soccer player. Although I did achieve top score for our team one day, when our team was all out for five runs, I top scored with two. But I was really just waiting for the next soccer season to begin. On Sundays, everything was shut. All the shops were shut, with the exception of corner shops. Movies were shut. Pubs were shut. Everything was closed. It really was the day of rest. Sunday morning, we were off to Sunday school. Now at the beginning of the soccer season, selection games were played on Sunday mornings before the season started. If you didn't play in these trial games, you were automatically placed in the B team. I was forbidden to miss Sunday school and play in these games. The cruel irony was that from my seat in the chapel, I could look to my left out the window and see my club's field. I could see my trial game being played a few hundred metres away. I knew I'd be in the B team again. But after I'd won the Best Player Award in the under-8s, the under-9s and the under-10s, they finally put me in the under-11As. Mum and Dad had quite a squadron of aunts, uncles and various relatives. Sometimes we'd be obliged to go and visit them. All of them. Unfortunately, these old people were usually always home when we called around. Our relatives' houses were usually dark and there was never any toys or anything fun to do. Our nana, to name just one relative, only fed us four boys as an afterthought while the adults enjoyed cake and tea elsewhere in the house. And the house always smelled mothballs. She would bring us boys out a big plate of sandwiches full of chutney. We didn't eat chutney and didn't even know what it was. As Anna turned to leave, I asked her once if there was any chance of getting something else 
or a sandwich with no chutney? No, was the reply. Some of these kindly old aunts would insist that we stood in a line, oldest to youngest, so that we could be inspected. Oh, look, this one has Jack's nose. And look at this one. He has kneecaps, the spitting image of Aunt Olive's. Oh, I hated it. It reminded me of those old gladiator movies where a cruel king is inspecting slaves at a slave market. This one has strong arms. He would be useful working in the fields. Most relatives had houses that were in no way small boy friendly either. Precious mementos were always placed precariously close to the edge of tables and such, just waiting for four bored boys to start a running game and send a glass snow dome inscribed Souvenir of Queenstown, New Zealand, 1958, crashing to the floor. Dad knew we could be bribed. The prospect of milkshakes all round was offered for our assurance that the next old auntie would not have our visit turn into a juvenile search-and-destroy mission for family mementos. He had a deal. If it was a nice Sunday afternoon weather-wise, Dad would sometimes drive us into the centre of Sydney's CBD and park in one of the near-deserted streets. He used to say you could fire a cannon down the main street of the city, George Street, and not hit anything. Such was the eerie peace of a Sunday afternoon in the usually bustling city centre. Then we would all... um, Hold on a minute. About the cannon. Now, if you fired it from Central you would take out a restaurant or two in Chinatown. And if you fired it from the QVB towards the quay, you'd surely hit Wynyard or Martin Place. George Street does not go in a straight line. So much for the cannon theory. Anyway, we'd park and walk to the domain. It was the heyday of Speaker's Corner. John Webster was one of the star attractions. He could draw crowds of up to 2,000 people to hear him project his views on everything. There were all kinds of speakers on boxes or small stepladders. There was holy rollers, nut jobs, conspiracy theorists and others yelling and ranting. It was a real free-for-all. I'll admit I was too young to understand much of what was being said. But it was great fun anyway and, and there was a real energy to it all. If it was a rainy Sunday and we were unable to go outside, I loved assembling Airfix model planes. And these were really popular in the 60s. My chosen models were usually World War II era fighter planes. Now, crucial to the task was the special airplane glue. Many of the parts were very small and the entire assembling process required the most exacting use of fine motor skills in all of childhood. After gluing, 
stickers could be applied to give the plane the appropriate markings, and the result was very satisfying. But the first lesson learned was that the glue had to be used very, very sparingly, or the plastic would simply melt, and the plane would look like it had been in a battle, and look nothing like the picture on the box. I became pretty proficient at assembling the planes. My shared room at times looked like a stationary Battle of Britain dogfight. One weekend, Dad decided to go and buy some airfix kits for us all to make some planes. I was nominated as the expert resource person for this activity. So there we all were, busily assembling, when Dad noticed me very carefully applying a tiny amount of glue to the all-important two halves of a plain fuselage. He grabbed it from me and squirted a large blob of glue on both sides of the joint and pressed it together. He then thrust it back at me. I watched helplessly as the plane quickly melted into a big grey plastic blob and was ruined. Dad was trying to be helpful, I'm sure. But I was pleased to be able to subsequently return to assembling planes as a solitary activity after all that. Another weekend thing was burning off in the backyard incinerator. Everyone had one in the era long before recycling became a thing. At a fairly young age, one could be entrusted to burn off, as it was fun to burn things. It wasn't that unusual on the weekend to have a noticeable smoke haze over the suburb as everyone loaded up the concrete fire pit and burnt pretty much everything that gets recycled nowadays. Everything pretty much was burnt, creating what apparently was often highly toxic smoke that drifted depending on the prevailing winds. My research on incinerators theorises that while they definitely polluted the atmosphere, they did help control plant diseases and pests, as all the bad stuff was burnt. Now, the natural enemy of the active incinerator, your own or a near neighbour's, was the washing being hung out to dry. Your clothes smelled of smoke. Burning off everything that would burn meant that there was not much to put in the actual garbage bin. The bin was metal with a non-attached metal lid, and these were only about half the volume of the typical plastic bins of today. You had one bin, one only. Not three like most places now. Although I've heard some places have four bins. Look, there's the household rubbish one, the recycling one, and the green waste one. What's the fourth one for? Kryptonite? Computer parts? Broken dreams? I don't know. Incinerators were banned altogether in the 1980s and 90s, and they will not be back. Sunday night was always gourmet night at our place. 
For many years, Sunday night dinner was toasted cheese and tomato sandwiches. I remain a cheese and tomato sandwich aficionado to this very day. It was the way mum made them. On a grill. In an oven. After dinner, there would often be lively debate as to which of the three commercial network 8.30 movies we would watch as a family. If a movie had an adults only or an AO rating, it would automatically be out of contention. I'd always look up the cinema movie ratings and listings in the newspaper and some films were listed as SAO or SAO. The film Psycho was was rated as SAO. It was about a motel killer and nothing to do with Cracker Biscuits at all. SAO stood for Suitable Only for Adults, apparently. Anyway, we would debate which film we would prefer until Dad, after listening patiently to our submissions, would get up and change the channel to the film he wanted to watch. The movie would finish after bedtime, so I'd be the next morning to find out what had happened. It was some time before I was deemed old enough to watch a Sunday night film in its entirety and not going to bed until the ungodly hour of 10.30 or so. A few years after that, I saw a film that was Sayo. It was Psycho. A film that really takes the biscuit. Thanks for listening. Next week, the last episode of Series 1 and 2022 will be a Q&A. So please send in any and all questions to me at www.childintime.life or via Facebook or Instagram and I'll get through as many as I can. So please send any questions in ASAP and I'll see you next week. Bye.